We are in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, and that's on page 1153 in the church Bibles. That's page 1153. 1 Corinthians 12 from verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but many parts. Now, if the foot says, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But, in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body seem to be the weaker, are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need to need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of help, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. <coughs> Kira, thanks very much for reading for us. Um, we're at the beginning of this little series of four where we're going to return to some of the, some of the things that we believe as a church uh, underpin everything that we seek to, to do and to be uh, under God. Um, and we're thinking this morning of the first of those about belonging. Um, I don't know, it's probably just my quirky sort of psychiatric past, um, but, but I love keeping an eye on these, um, these sort of funny new diagnoses that are flying around. Uh, anyone heard of nomophobia? Nomophobia? Anyone pick that one up yet? I don't think it's an official diagnosis, really. Oh, look, look, look Reba's here. Reba, no, no, I don't think it's it. No, 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 we're not on FOMO yet. Put that by. Um, we're on nomophobia. Nomophobia, I don't think really exists. I think it's, it's no mobile phone 
Phobia. Nomophobia, get it? Um, which, which is an anxiety state that people experience when for some reason they are no longer in mobile phone reception. Either their mobile phone's gone missing or uh, you know, no signal. And a sort of you know, little panicky, panicky state sets in. You think you got that? Uh, had that? Um, or, or what about another one? Um, this one I made up, um, which is MPAS. Um, that's M-P-P-A-S, uh, which stands for Mobile Phone Purchase Anxiety Syndrome. And I thought it's quite, MPAS is quite good, isn't it? It's an MPAS. I've got to reach this MPAS because I can't decide which mobile phone to buy. Now, the reason you can't decide which mobile phone to buy is because you're terrified that you might not get the best one. Now, that is connected to a very genuine thing. Now we can go on. FOMO. Who's heard of FOMO? Yeah, okay, you're sort of culturally on the, on the money. Um, so FOMO is a sort of new idea bubbling around, uh, which stands for fear of missing out. Um, and um, those who look at these things reckon that our culture has developed this very deep sense of a fear of missing out. Um, uh, let me tell you how it's described. Um, it is described as a pervasive apprehension that others might be having rewarding experiences from which one is absent. Catch that? Pervasive apprehension that others might be having rewarding experiences from which one is absent. Now you can see how our social media feeds that, can't you? Because you're constantly sort of seeing what other people are up to. Um, and of course they only put the nice things on. So you get this impression that other people are doing all these brilliant things, all this great stuff that's happening in their lives. And you think, oh, I must be missing out on stuff. Now, the, the reason I wanted to catch um, this idea first is because, um, and this is more my thinking than anybody else's, at least I've not read it anywhere yet, it seems to me that FOMO is directly associated uh, with our current culture's lack of commitment. Um, because one of the things I've noticed, and, and I've sort of seen that chatting with um, other people in church ministry, is that it's it takes much longer and it's much harder to get people to, to sign up to things. So uh, some of the leaders who are running summer camps over the summer said that uh, loads of people are interested in coming, but I can't get them to, to, to sign and commit. I won't get them to actually sort of agree to be part of the team. They say, oh, no, I, yeah, no, I'm, th I'm thinking about that. But they leave it later and later and later. When we run events here. Uh, people sign up to, to, to join an event later and later and later. Now, why? Well, I think it is FOMO. Because if I commit to this thing, then how do I know that something else won't come along later that's better? So I need to leave it as late as possible. Out of fear that by committing to this, I miss out on that. So do you see how FOMO goes hand in hand uh, with a fear of commitment? Um, why do I tell you these things? Well, because I think the call that the Bible has to Christian believers to commit to the body of Christ is therefore very countercultural and very radical. We're just going to look at the first three verses uh, of the passage that Akira read um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, and uh, I've got two simple truths that I want us to draw out, um, which will lead us uh, to one very obvious implication. Um, here's the first truth. The church is the body of Christ. 
Um, That's the analogy that Paul sets out in verse 12. See it again? Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. The Bible's got a range of metaphors, uh, pictures, that it uses to describe church. Um, You'll be able to think of them. Uh, Sometimes the church is described as a household, uh, kind of the idea of a family, brothers and sisters together. Um, That's one. Um, Sometimes the church is described as a building. Um, and uh, individual believers are, are like living stones uh, that get built together to form this temple in which God dwells by his spirit. Um, but probably the most prominent um, and um, perhaps the most significant for us, maybe, um, is this image here of the church as a body. Um, it's a really clear picture, isn't it? And it's very easy to get. I mean, you, you know, the, the youngest child can, can understand this image. Uh, of uh, uh, the church as a body. Because you get the gist. A hand is not designed to function independently. You know, an ear is not designed to function independently. You know, the, the hand is designed to be part of a body. The ear is designed to be part of a body. That, that's just the way that it is. If you happen and your home at the moment to have a body part that is disconnected from a body, there is a problem, isn't there? I mean, you know, someone is in trouble if that is the case, and the police might be interested. It's just not the way it's supposed to be. So by calling the church a body, you get a very clear sense that that the different parts have to belong. They have to be a part so, and they're very different parts as well. That also comes out in this passage. Um, that, that it's not that all these parts are the same. Uh, you see that there in, in verse 14, uh, where Paul says, oh, wrong side of the page. Um, in verse 14, where he says, and so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Lots of different parts uh, that go together to make up this body. There is variety. And, says Paul, that's the way it is with the church. Actually, he doesn't. Look at verse 12 very carefully. It's not what he says. He says uh, that just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. You don't expect him to finish a sentence like that, do you? You know, we know we're talking about the church, so you expect him to finish the sentence by saying, so it is with Christ. So it is with the church. But he doesn't. He says, so it is with Christ. And and the reason it takes us by surprise points us to the fact that the link between Jesus and the church is so tight. Because the church is now the body of Christ on earth. That's the point. There was a time when you wanted to see what Jesus was up to. Well, you could go see him in his flesh and bones. In Galilee. So he he did his ministry. He achieved his purposes through his physical frame. That was true for a time. But now you want to see what Jesus is up to. You want to encounter him. You want to see what he's accomplishing. Well, you see what he's accomplishing through his spiritual body. uh, Through the ministry of his church. So... First, the church is the body of Christ. 
And second, clearly, every believer is a part of that body. New Testament couldn't be clearer on this. New Testament has no idea, no notion of of a solo believer. A a kind of Christian who's who's operating on their own. The the New Testament only understands Christian believers as um, those who are members of the body of Christ. So that's why Paul writes a letter to the Christians in Colossae, uh, Christians in Corinth, Christians in Ephesus. He writes to churches. Because when you're, you're called to Christ, you are called into the church. It's actually tucked in there in the language of, uh, of the name. The, the, the Greek for, for church is ecclesia. Um, and, and it comes out of the idea of kaleo, to call, and ek, out of. So Christians are called out of the world and into the church. Church, then, are the community of believers that God draws together. Now, we live in an age that prizes our right to choose above almost anything else, doesn't it? Certainly prizes our right to choose above ideas of loyalty and commitment anymore. I mean, you see the shifts everywhere. Um, When I was young um, and supported my football team, the players who played for them played for them for for, forever. Transfers were really rare and a bit shocking. Now, you know, it's sort of, you know, they move every month, as far as I can tell. Many times, I've taken the funeral of of somebody in their 80s, 90s, And they have worked for the same company every single day of their working lives. It's just the way it happened. Now, how different it is now. How transient our commitment to things. We can't even stay with the same energy company for a year. Our culture is just geared into the idea that I must keep checking out uh, what the better deal is. We shop around. We compare the market.com. We're constantly seeking the next best deal. Now, what happens when we have that mindset? What happens to us in, relation, in regard to the way that we think about relationships? Well, all sorts of things. All sorts of shifts take place in the way that we think about marriage. And all sorts of things shift in the way that we think about church. Now, our attitude towards a marriage... And our attitude towards the church is, is this fulfilling me? Is this satisfying me? Am I, am I getting enough out of it? And so you catch yourself of an evening thinking to yourself, oh, no, I, I'm, I'm not much in the mood for church tonight. I don't think I'll get a lot out of it. I won't go. Uh, this series of studies in Tuesday Central, uh, they've been, yeah, not been great for me. Not sort of, you know, not quite my kind of thing. Nah, I'll, I'll give it a miss tonight. And that just spills out of our attitude that says, I'm a consumer. Is church working for me at the minute? Well, I'll buy in. Is it not giving me much? Pass. We misunderstand the very notion of what church is. Church isn't a club that I join 
It's not a society to which I pay an annual subscription. Church is the body of which I am a part. You can no more choose to, to opt out of church than one of your hands could say, oh, I'm not getting much out of being part of this body at the moment. I'll just drop off to the side for a bit. And it is true, whatever part of the body we happen to be, that is the sense of verse 13, where Paul writes, we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So in other words, whoever I happen to be, Paul's day, whether I was a slave or whether I'm free, whether I'm a Jew or a Gentile, we might say whether I'm tall or short, whether I'm black or white, whether I'm old or young, whether I'm loud or quiet, whether I'm a thinker or a feeler, whether I'm married or single, whether I'm outgoing or shy, whether I'm sporty or sedentary, whether I'm academic or practical, whether I'm creative or I'm not. It doesn't matter who I happen to be, what sort of temperament I happen to have, what sort of gifts God has chosen to give me. I belong. In fact, the very diversity, the, the, the range of, of, of different kinds of people in the church is just what God has planned and intended. So if it's true that the church is the body of Christ, if it's true that every believer is a part of that body, then it follows, thirdly, that I must belong. If I'm a Christian believer... If I have been baptized in the Spirit, which is the same thing as saying that I have come to Christ, believed in Him, been born again, all those different phrases all say the same thing. It just means I'm a Christian believer. If I'm a Christian believer, I must belong to church. What is true in theory, because God's made it true, needs to be true in practice in the way that I live. So as we wrap up, let me... Let me let me just sort of try and be a little bit practical at the end. Because I think it's important we don't kid ourselves here. Because the idea of belonging to church is, is a bit more than just having a group of friends at church that I spend time with and I like getting on with. And I invest in them. Now, that, that's having a group of friends who happen to go to the same church as you. That's not belonging to church, is it? It's good to have friends. hope you do. Have you got friends here at Christ Church? It's good. But don't think that that amounts to belonging to church. Belonging to church is also more than a commitment to grow spiritually. Now that's good too. It's good to want to grow, good to want to listen to sermons online, good to want to read your Bible, good to want to read Christian books. But, but, but if my commitment is to my own spiritual growth, that too is not the same as belonging to church, is it? It's a good thing to do, but don't think that that is belonging to church either. And belonging to church is more than getting myself on a rotor. Now that's good to do too. Yeah, I'll be on the welcoming rotor, I'll be on the coffee rotor, I'll be on the praying rotor, I'll be on the um, Sunday club rotor. That's good. But if I just sort of sense myself being on the rotor for tonight and then next week I'm off the rotor. There's just something not 
quite the same as feeling as I belong to church in that, is there? Now, hands don't say, well, I'm, I'm on the hand rotor tonight, but next week I'm, you know, I'm off the rotor, so there's no hand business going on this evening. It'd be weird. So, so don't get on rotors, be committed to your spiritual growth, have friends, but know that belonging to church is more than all of that. It goes deeper than that. It stems from a sense that this is my body. And I belong here. And the people around me belong to me just as I belong to them. Two quick comments as we finish. I'll say this morning that um, um, there will be some people who as... Uh, we look at a passage like this as we think about the idea of belonging, you're thinking to yourself, I'm on the edge. Now, it may be that you're brand new here and you're on the edge because you've only just arrived. But it could be that you've been here for quite a while and you still sense yourself to be out on the edge. Well, can I say that because of this foundational truth that we are committed to as a church, we don't want to leave you there. Now, we don't want to be pushy but we don't want to leave you there. We want to do what we can to help to get you from the edge uh, into the heart of things. Now, we appreciate you may be brand new to Cambridge, just finding your feet. Uh, Or it may be that you've just come out of a really busy spell in your life and you're just catching your breath. So we don't want to be pushy with you, but we do want to move you from the edge to the heart. Because we think that that will be good for you because it's what God wants for you, if you're a Christian believer. And we also think it'll be good for us for you to move from the edge to the center as well. But can I also say, would you see finally the terrible irony there is in FOMO? See, this fear of missing out that leads me to be cautious about committing is, ironically, the very thing that leads me to miss out. Do you see that? See, I'm terrified of missing out, so I'm actually not very good at committing to stuff. And it is my very failure to commit to stuff that leads me to miss out. Because if you won't commit, then you'll never enjoy the richness of relationship that comes to those who are able to commit. You never experience the joy of serving others that comes from being part of an area of ministry. You'll never know the thrill of community that exists when a group of people join together in a small group and throw themselves together life to life. Your fear of commitment because of your fear of missing out will be the very thing that leads you to miss out in the most profound way. So can I say tonight, belong. Belong out of obedience to Christ. If you're not yet a Christian believer, then then hang around and find out who this Jesus is that causes people to commit to one another in this kind of radical way. He's worth finding out about. Um, But if you are a Christian believer, then belong out of obedience to him. And out of a determination to use the life that God has given you in the way that he has decided will bring him 
the greatest glory. Uh, Let me pray, and I'm going to hand back to David. Our Father God, we thank you for uh, your great um, eternal plan, your good purposes to, uh, to draw out for yourself, to call out for yourself, a people for your own possession, a people who uh, will declare your praises for bringing us out of darkness into light. Our Father, a day will come when uh, we won't be sharing bread and wine together um, because we will be uh, gathered uh, in worship and praise around the throne of the Lord Jesus, gazing upon the one who was slain for us, uh, praising him, uh, living as your uh, new created community. Now, Father, we pray that in anticipation of those great things, uh, you would help us uh, more and more by the power of your Spirit, because we can't do it on our own, by the power of your Spirit uh, to become uh, the body of Christ that you intend us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.